So we're in, a, we're in a study right now, and if you want to, you can turn in your Bibles or devices to Colossians, and this, and this week we're in to uh, chapter 3, uh, a letter that a guy by the name of Paul, uh, who back in, in New Testament time, actually uh, was a witness of Jesus' actual earthly ministry, although he was not a follower of Jesus at the time. And you know, if you've been around here enough, we've talked about it, he was actually opposed to Jesus and his disciples until he met the resurrected Jesus, and then that changed the course of his life. Much of our, what we call the New Testament in the Bible, is written by Paul. Uh, God used him, and, and, uh, and it's interesting, and we'll, we'll see even in this letter, a lot of what he wrote, he wrote in what we would think were kind of those, one of those times of life where uh, just uh, it isn't going right. You know, you have a tendency to say, you know, God, this doesn't make sense, because Paul, early in his ministry as a follower of Christ, was going around starting churches. And then he kept, because it was a, a dangerous time of in-the-world events to be a Christian, he got thrown into prison, prison several times. And, you know, I can imagine from his pers- perspective, it was like, what on earth is going on? Why am I going through this? What sense does this make, God? I'm stuck in this prison when I should be out there helping these churches get going. And, and, but we know now... Uh, it was while he was in prison that he would write these letters that are part of our scripture, and we maybe wouldn't have had them had it not been for those times where God designed to put Paul's life on hold, at least from a perspective of not being able to do anything other than write. And uh, so it's you know kind of a reminder for one of us. So you you probably heard this story before. True story. Uh, I may have even told it. Uh, I'm getting old. I repeat myself now. So you just. Might as well adjust to that, but it, it, it happened uh, several years ago. It was in one of those time management seminars. Maybe you've been to one of those, and, and uh, the, uh, there was a motivational speaker speaking, and at some point in the seminar, he, he pulled out, he had a table in front of him, and he pulled out and put on the, on the table this large jar with a you know, large mouth jar, and he set it there, and, and he then proceeded to begin to put these large rocks in the jar until he put as many in as he could possibly fit into that jar. And then he said to the group who was there, he says, let me ask you a question. He says, is the jar full? Well, almost unanimously probably, everybody said, yes, it's full. And he said, no, it isn't. And then he pulled out uh, uh, this bag and it had a bunch of small pebbles in it. And he and began to, to take handfuls of these pebbles and put them in the jar. And he'd shake it a little bit as he did. And the pebbles would kind of work their way through it. And pretty soon he had pebbles all the way up to the top of the jar. And again he asked the question, now is the jar full? Well, there were a few that were a little he- more hesitant than they were before. But the majority of them still said, yeah, it's, it's obviously full. And then he said, no, it isn't. So then he pulls up, and and he has this pitcher full of sand, and he begins to pour sand, and again shakes the jar as he's pouring the sand, and the sand works its way down through all the rocks and through the pebbles and to the point where the sand is right level with the top. And then he says again, is the jar full? Well, now they're kind of caught on to this, and they're not going to commit themselves one way or another. So, So everybody says, no, it's not full. And he says, good answer, because then he pulls out a pitcher of water, and he begins to pour water in. The water filters its way down to the sand and the pebbles and the rocks until it's to the brim. And then he asked the question. He said, okay, what is the point of this illustration? 
Well, one ambitious young executive was there, and he says, I, I know, I know what the point is. He said, all right, sir, what's the point of this illustration? He said, here's the point. No matter how busy you are, no matter how full you li- think your life is, there's always room for one more thing. And the executive says, that is exactly not the point. He says, the point is this. The things you say important are important in your life, the big rocks, if you don't put them in the jar first, they'll never fit. That's a, a really, isn't, isn't that that truth? You know, there, there, there are things that, and if I asked any one of you, and including myself, you'd say, these are my priorities. But we, have you found that, uh, you know, often the, the, the stuff, the little things really we would say, the, the things that are not as big a deal, you know, but they are the things that kind of fill our calendar, fill our events, and, and, and so they fill us up, and we never get around to the big rocks. And the reason I share this illustration is because Paul is talking in this letter to these followers of Jesus in this town called Colossae. He, he actually is saying there is a rock, the big rock. That if you don't put it in your life jar first, and if, and in fact, everything about your life should wrap around this big rock, and uh, if it's not in the right place, then life is not going to be what you're hoping for, what you're looking for, what you desire. Uh, you're going to find yourself frustrated. In fact, the, the folks in this, this group that he's writing to are exactly that. They're frustrated. They're discouraged. They, there was a point in their life, uh, uh, maybe, in fact, just about three years prior to this, when Paul first talked to them about their relationship with God, there was a point where it all came together, and they thought, you know, we've got this figured out. It's settled. But now some individuals have come into their midst and are starting to tell them other things and confuse them, and now they're, now they're, now they're not sure anymore. What, you know, were we really right? Was it, is it really about Jesus? Uh, you know, and so now he, he writes this letter saying, Okay, we got we got to get that big rock back where it belongs. Uh, the passage we're going to look at today, I want to I want to start off by reading it to us from uh, Eugene Peterson's translation, the message, the message, which is a modern English translation. So we're going to look into it in a moment, but listen to it now as, as I read to you his translation of these verses. I think he does a good job. So, so if you're serious about living this new resurrected life with Christ. Act like it. Pursue the things over which Christ presides. Don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground, absorbed with the things right in front of you. Look up. Be alert to what's going on around Christ. That's where the action is. See things from His perspective. Your old life is dead. Your new life, which is your real life, even though invisible to spectators, is with Christ in God. This is your, he is your life. When Christ, your real life, remember, shows up again on this earth, you'll show up too, the real you, the glorious you. Remember this old hymn? My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. 
You know, uh, it's interesting, and I suspect uh, if we are in conversation, and I were to ask you, okay, tell me about your life. What would you grab? What would you consider solid in your life? I suppose that we would say stuff like this. My great-grandfather, uh, my mother's on my mother's side, and my mom and dad listen to these messages, so if I say something incorrect, I'm going to hear about this later in the week. But uh, my great-grandfather on my mother's side uh, was a fairly well-to-do man. Not a billionaire or a millionaire, but fairly well-to-do. He, he made a good living. He was very frugal with, with things, and he saved, and he put it all away. And, and really, he had enough... Uh, in, in, in his financial perspective of life, that he would have a ni- he's going to have a nice retirement and actually uh, left, leave a nest egg for his children uh, after he was gone until the Great Depression. My great-grandfather, uh, when everything came down on that very eventful dark day, headed to the bank like, like thousands of others and to get his funds out and got to the bank and, like others, found out that the banks were locked closed and the money was all gone. And so instead of dying, leaving something to his children and, and doing fairly well to do, he died pretty much penniless, living with his children and leaving nothing. Some of us think that's what's solid, finances. You know, if I have uh, uh, good good savings account gone, and, you know, my stocks are okay, and, and my pension fund's all set up, and, you know, I've been, I've been careful with my money, and so I'm solid. I'm solid. You'll, some of you can say it that way. I'm solid. Not really. So others would say something like this. My, growing up, my family had an, another family. He was actually a pastor and his wife, and, and they had five children, and our family had four children. And, and actually, their, one of their sons' name was Paul, and, and he was a good friend of mine. We didn't go to the same school. As in, we lived in Kansas at the time, and he went to a nearby town school. And so we'd play each other in basketball. We just, and we, we just enjoyed each other as family and, and uh, kind of grew up around each other. And and uh, later on, as their children grew to young adults, uh, uh, one Christmas they're all together and just really enjoying being family. You know, uh, the kids were there, the grandkids, or the kids were, all five kids were there. I don't know if they had grandkids yet at that point or not, I can't remember. But you, you know what you do, and, and, and uh, you know, you're, you tend, and they're all together, they're under the same roof, which doesn't happen a lot except those special occasions. And I'm sure at some point during that time, uh, 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 the the mother or the father probably looked around and thought, you know, this is this is so nice, isn't it? Isn't it n- nice to know that we're going to enjoy so many more of these in the days ahead? Before two Christmases would go by, three of their five children would die. What do you consider solid? What is it that you're saying? Okay, as long as I'm okay. Well, Paul is, is telling us that that big rock, it's telling the Colossae Christians, that big rock needs to be Jesus. And, and you know, I've talked about the fact that, uh, you know, I know, I know if, uh, you know, if, if, uh, if you're a guest or, or if your background, you know, you really haven't had much to do with church and, and you're saying, yeah, that's what you churches, that's what we expect you to say. It's always about Jesus. But Paul says, no, that's, that's a reality. 
And so that's what he's walking us through, and, and that's why we're going to look at this morning. And actually, this is the introduction to my message. I'm hoping you didn't have any plans today because, uh, in fact, this I'll just tell you the side joke here, and, and I'll get you out of here on time. We'll be all right. But uh, when, when I, years ago when I do my messages, I had an old computer with the, remember the dot matrix printers that would print everything off in this long sheet, and then when you'd have to separate the papers and pull the borders off, which were where the little holes were that made it spin, and one day, my, Josh, when he was about that tall, comes into my office, and I've just printed off my message, and so it's, you know, this long thing going, and, and he walks in and, and looks, and he sees that. He says, Dad, is that your message? Big eyes. And I said, yeah. He says, no wonder you're so long-winded. <laughs> well, yesterday, so, jo- or no, the day before, Josh is the one that actually finalizes these slides, and, and so when he, we were talking yesterday, he says, uh, Awful lot of slides this week, Dad. So anyway, so you, just so you know what to expect. So let me pray for us now that we got our intro done, and let's dig into this section this morning. Father, thank you. You, you have some really important words to speak to us today, and I don't care when I say that. I say that, matter of fact, I don't care if, if we have someone here that has no background at all with you. They don't know you. They don't, <laughs> they're, they're, they're here because somebody made them come, and that's the only reason they wouldn't be here. Or us who, who, who from our perspective, have been walking with you for a long time. You got something that you need to say to us today, individually. And and you want us to hear it because it's important. It is the big rock from your perspective. And as our creator, and what we see in your word is that you love us and you want us not only to to have what's best for us, but you want us to have this abundant life you talk about. and, and, And it's all wrapped up in this issue. So guide us as we have this conversation. Pray these things in your son's name. Amen. So we're in Colossians chapter 3, and, and verse 1 starts off this way. In fact, he's gonna, we're going to kind of focus on three statements that Paul makes in the first four verses. This is the first one. You have been raised with Christ. And the second one is, your life is now hidden with Christ. And then the third one is, you, will, you also will appear with Christ. And this is a statement he's making, remember, to this struggling, frustrated church that are they're really starting to question who they are, who, maybe even who Christ is, maybe even where things stand with God. They're kind of they're not so sure about that. They're wrestling with that. And so he's going to make these statements because he's going to say, I want you to be settled with this because this is important for you to know. So we're going to walk down through this together. And he starts off, and, and, and actually before we even dig into that, here's where I want to make sure that we're real clear on something else. You ever been to one of those seminars, a seminar, and I've been to you know, a number of seminars, and you know, sometimes, especially if it's a popular, popular seminar, you, you'll go there and you get to, usually they have this, if it's at a motel, it's there, they've got this big room where registration is, uh, or an auditorium, and, and uh, you know, if it's a popular one, you get there and there's long lines. So you get in line, and this has happened to me, you get in line, and man, it's, it seems like it takes forever because they're done having them fill out forms and identification, maybe room assignments sometimes, and and so you get a long line, and it takes about a half hour and 45 minutes, and finally you get to the front of the line, and they ask you, what's your name? And you say, Paul Kennedy. Well, you probably wouldn't say that. But anyway, I say, Paul Kennedy. And then they say to me, oh, you're in the wrong line. A through F is over there. You ever had that happen? Well, well here's my point. I want to make sure, before we go any further, because this is, this is crucial, is it says that you're registered, Okay. And we looked at this last week. Paul makes a statement. He says, so then, just as you received Christ, Jesus is Lord. That's the beginning point. And we talked last week, you know, so often what we do as 
Christians is, is all we are concerned about is the beginning point. We're registered, you know, we accepted that gift of forgiveness that God's offering, and so we're thinking, well, that's good, we're settled, and, and then we'll, we might jump, add to that, and we know at the end everything's going to be okay, cause, but we kind of figure the middle ground's up to us, it's our problem, and, and that's part of Paul saying that is not the case. In fact, that middle ground is very important, but here's where he wants to make sure, and where I want to start, and he talked about last week, is I want to make sure that you've received the gift. And here's the gift God's offering you. And I don't care who you are. I don't care what your background is. I don't care what you're hiding. Uh, or or uh, what he's saying is here, I love you. First of all, I love you. No matter who you are, I love you. Secondly, I want you to be in my family. That's God speaking to you. It's in the Word of God. I can show you numerous places. I want you to be in my family. I want you to live with me forever. And the only thing that's stopping that from happening is the fact that you have sin in your life, and I'm a holy God. But, here, but here's my offer. I've taken care of that for you, too. I'm offering you, as a gift, forgiveness of that sin and a restored relationship. It's a gift. And, you know, uh, when you're, someone offers you the gift, they've done a lot to get to that point. They went, you know, they went and made the, paid the price and purchased it, and maybe they wrapped it up, and, and, and they've come to you. But that's God said, all of that has been taken care of. This is a gift I am offering to you. You can either accept it or you can reject it. That's totally your decision, it's, and, and, and God won't force it on you. But here's the gift, and if you will accept my gift of forgiveness and the restored relationship that comes with it, then, and I want you to know, you will be my child. I'm going to be your father. And everything that goes with that, which is unbelievable, and, and you'll get a glimpse, a little bit of a talk about today, everything that goes with that is going to be yours. It's the offer. So I want to make sure you're registered because, you know, the Bible actually says that there will come a day when every one of us will stand before God. And on that day, he will say to some people, depart from me because I didn't know you. Not that he didn't want to know you. You just never were responded to that. The offer was there. You just weren't interested or someone wasn't interested. In fact, some of those people, when he says that to them, the Bible says, will say, wait a minute, I did miracles on your behalf. I talked to people about you. I, I quoted your scripture to, you know, some, there's going to be some religious people that are going to think that that's what it takes is being, a, you know, this religious good person or whatever. And he's going to say, that's not what it's about. It's about did you accept the gift I offered you, or didn't you? Have you received Jesus? And so that's where we start. But once you've made that decision, and I hope you all have, then, then he says, you have now stepped into a family that is yours for eternity. And, and there are things that are, are what it is about, and that's what he wants to kind of walk with them th- with through today and us as, as uh, along with them. So he says, since then you have been raised with Christ. The moment you receive that gift, you, in fact, we're going to look at another thing. You've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. A couple of things here. Now, first of all, I want you to know, he used the exact same phrase in, in the original language is Greek earlier. He said that we died with Christ. And now he's saying we have been, when, if you accepted that gift, You've been raised with Christ, and it's the same phrase stated the exact same way, and it's written in present tense with a completed action. He's saying, this has been taken care of, and what's so cool about this is, and it becomes important in a moment, it's saying, it had nothing to do with you. That's why it's called a gift, you know? 
You didn't work for it. You didn't pay for it. You didn't wrap it. You didn't. It is simply God offering you a gift and me a gift. And he's saying, if you've accepted that gift, all this is taking place. You died with Christ and you were raised with Christ. And I'm going to talk a little bit about what that means uh, as we continue through this. Uh, you know, here's, uh, this is going to be a really uh, simple, maybe a dumb illustration. But, but at least it worked for me, so I hope it works for you. Years ago, you know, uh, I've always had uh, an affinity towards trucks, especially old trucks. Until they don't work, run right, then I don't like them as much. But, but I always usually have a, an old truck, and my, my truck is, everybody owns my truck. It's, you know, 25 years old, but it's still running. Right now, my newer car is not running. My old truck is, and uh, so I'm glad to have it. But there have been a few times in my adult life where I did not have trucks, which is not a good feeling for me. It's uncomfortable. But I remember one of those seasons of life where I didn't have a truck, and, uh, and it was at this probably this time of year where you kind of do the spring clean, and I had been going through junk, and I had this, in my work area, my space, you know, I had this pile of junk that was getting larger and larger, and so I was having to work around it, and it was just an aggravation. It was always in the way, but I, know, I knew I needed to go to the dump and haul this stuff there, but I going to have to borrow a truck or a trailer to do it, and, you know, you kind of hate to do that, and so it just was there. It's just aggravating me all the time, and I remember one day one of my friends pulled into my driveway with his truck, and he had a bunch of junk in the back, and he said to me, hey, Paul, I'm on my way to the dump. I just wondered, did you got anything that needs to go to the dump? I can't even tell you how happy I was to see him, and it wasn't a planned thing. He hadn't told me he had it. just popped into his mind, and I said, I do, and we loaded all that junk into his truck, and he hauled it off to the dump, and I can't even, I was exhilarated, I really was, I, it, I was probably way happier about that than I should have been, but it just really made my day to see that empty spot. That's an indication of when he says you've been raised with Christ, it's kind of what he's saying, he's, and when you died with Christ, he's saying, you know, here's God, it, when we accept that gift, he says, I've taken all the junk. All of it. Whatever your story is. Maybe it's not about junk. Maybe you would say, no, my story is filth. The filth of my life that has plagued me, and it's in my memories, and, and it's, it's impacted who I am, and I know that. And, and he says, I've taken all that filth, and I've lifted you out of that filth and made you alive. It's gone now. In fact, Paul was writing to the, another one of his letters he wrote to Christians in Rome, and, and he made this statement. He says, if we've been united like this in his death, we will certainly be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self, that junk, that filth, was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin, in the same way, count yourself dead to sin, but alive to God. And Jesus Christ said, here's what I've done. I've taken all that and, and I've put it in the dump. You don't have to worry about it ever again. It's been taken care of. And he says, because of that now, uh, and, and remember, that first phrase there was, it wasn't anything about us. Someone else did it for us. But he's saying, because that's who you are now. The junk is gone, and now you actually are one of my children. In fact, you know, you used to, you know, we used to, you remember those, <coughs> excuse me, you've probably seen those, uh, those TV clips of those children. It's in, in some parts of the world that are 
scrounging through the dump looking for something to eat. And he said, that used to be you. That's where you found your meals. But now you have a seat at the king's table. But the problem is our tendency sometimes is to forget that and go back and, and start scrounging through the dump again. So he says, here's, here's what we got to do. Now that we know what has taken place, we got to make a decision to set our affections on things that are, are not wrapped up in that mess anymore, but are wrapped up in heaven, in our God, in, in our, our new family. Got to start placing my affection around who I am now, not who I used to be. Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. That's just an important phrase because here's what it says. Is all those things that used to be a part of you that I've taken away, it's settled. Jesus did the work that he needed to do. And now he's seated at the right hand of God. Which means he is equal with God. So then he goes on. To set your minds on things above. Before it was your hearts. Now he says set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. You know, it's, all, it's a battle of the mind. It is. It is a battle of what's going to control and run our thinking. And so we got to decide, you know, are we going to allow our minds to be wrapped up in and whatever it may be. I was sharing with the guys Wednesday and I listened to this blog, this post usually uh, five days a week. But I'm kind of wondering if I, you know, I, I, if I should because it's always wrapped up in all the crud the news, you know, a little bit, of, and it's like, oh man, I, I don't want that to be my focus. He says, you, you're a new person, you're a new creation. Wrap your head around those things that are wrapped up in your God and who he is. For you died and your life now is hidden with Christ and Lord. Two things here. It's interesting. He says, right now, what you are, who you are is hidden. Uh, not everyone knows it. That the truth is, they don't know it, but but it's hidden. You're, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Uh, it's interesting. John writes, he says, and here's what he's saying about you. Here's what he's saying about me. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. That is what you are. If you accepted that gift, you are a child of God. You sit at the king's table now. The reason the world does not know us is that they, it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God. And what we shall be has not yet been know, made known, but we know that when he appears, we will be like him, for we we'll, shall see him as he is. You know, right now you're a child of God. If you accept that gift, you are a king's child. Now, I realize uh, not everybody recognizes that. I, I'm just telling you, don't expect P- People Magazine to call you this afternoon and ask for an interview. They're not, they won't. And, and don't expect, uh, you know, people to give you a, a really good seat at the restaurant because, oh, oh yeah, you're one of the kings. Come on in. I got a table reserved just for important people like you. It's not going to happen. No one's going to show up at your house with a limousine to drive you around unless you pay for it. You can pay for that if you want to. He's saying right now, people don't realize it. It's hidden, but someday everyone's going to know that you belong to him. But you and I need to start living like we belong to him today. See, that's the problem. Here's the problem. It it is not so much what people think about you. Our problem is we don't think correctly about ourselves. I forget sometimes that, you know what? I have a restored relationship with God. He has adopted me into his family. 
I need to live up to that. I need to live up to who I am because of what Jesus Christ did in with me. I like the way Eugene Peter said it in the beginning. Don't, don't shuffle along with eyes to the ground. Absorb with the things right in front of you. You know, that's what we do. Don't we live life like this all the time? And, and it's all wrapped up in this. And you say, lift your head up. Realize who you are. If you have accepted that gift that's been offered to you, that forgiveness, that restored relationship, that adoption into his family, you're a child of the king. Quit going back to the dump to find your food. Sit down at the banquet table and enjoy the meal the king's prepared for you. Start living like who you are. And if you're not that person yet because you haven't accepted that gift, it's the offers for you. Today, he loves you. He wants you to accept the gift. He paid a tremendous price to make the offer, but he did it because he loves you. Even right now, if you're, you don't love him, he loves you. And he's waiting for you to reach out and take the gift. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this reminder of our position because of you, the things that you've done for us because you loved us, even when we didn't even care about you. In fact, your word says, even when we were your enemy, <laughs> You stepped into our world and paid what it was necessary to allow us to be delivered from our sin. And you made the offer of the gift. And Lord, if there's someone here who has not accepted that gift, it's for them today. You're making that offer right now. You want them to accept it. I pray that they will. And for those of us who have, Lord, if we, you want us to start living based on the reality of who we are. You want us to get our eyes off the ground and up into the heavens. You want us to start thinking, thinking in terms of who our Father is. You want us to have an abundant life that is molded and revolves around the relationship we have with you. And, and if we'll do that, there are so many promises that you've said will be a part of who we are. And so that's my prayer for us today as we continue on. And thank you for this letter that you invested in those individuals as Paul wrote from prison about your love for them and thank you that it applies to us as well. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Would you stand with me as we close this morning? Amazing grace how
sounded great this morning. Thanks for worshiping with us and we'll see you next week at the park. The earth was something that could satisfy 